Um, we're going to throw a little bit of a curveball tonight, uh, and it's not a curveball I'm throwing, it's a curveball God's throwing. I was preparing uh, this morning and, and l- l- yesterday evening on preaching on our next hero. We've been going through Hebrews chapter number 11 and preaching on God's Hall of Heroes, and I was getting reared up to preach on Samson. I mean, could you rather preach on any other hero besides Samson? I mean, the cool stories of Samson and all the great things that he did, and I was reared and ready to go, but about lunchtime, uh, God put a different message in my heart. He said, this is what you're going to preach tonight. So that's what I'm going to preach tonight. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Again, I had full intentions on continuing our series tonight. And we will continue our series. Even though I'm not going to be preaching regularly on Wednesday nights. If the opportunity presents itself or I end up in here on a Wednesday night or Whatever the case may be, we will continue that series. It's been awesome. We've been through uh, all those great men and women of God and just seen what God did in their lives and what was different about them and what uh, God used in qualities and traits that maybe even they didn't have. Um, But he filled in the cracks and he filled in the blanks. Um, But tonight we're going to look at the last words of the man that wrote that chapter in Hebrews, or at least our strongest belief is that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews and the last words of a dying man, the last words of Paul. If there was anybody uh, in your life that has ever influenced you, you always wanted to be there for their last moments, their last words on earth, the last things that they said. Uh, and it is always a critical thing. If you go back and you look at the great men and women throughout history, uh, many of them would make these profound statements or these simple statements upon their deathbed. And uh, their last words, their last uh, will and testaments would have you, if, if we were to really be honest, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are literally the last wills and testaments of Jesus Christ as he walks this earth and he made sure that his disciples knew what his words were and knew what his mission was and knew the reason he came and knew the reason he was coming back again. Well, here in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, we're going to read some of the last words that the Apostle Paul would ever write. And he's writing to Timothy. uh, And Paul is leaving Timothy on this planet. He's he's leaving him right in the middle of a ministry. He's commissioned him as pastor of a church. and, And he's leaving him in an area where he's the young preacher. He's the young man that has just been placed in charge by Paul. Timothy may not have been respected by the other elders, by the other brethren. Uh, We know that Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. He knew that Timothy was going to be a young man. Timothy was going to be green around the gills. And as the elder men of God looked at Timothy, you know, they would have said, oh, he's young or all. What what could he possibly know? Oh, what could Timothy possibly have to teach us and to preach to us? And as Paul was closing out his life, as Paul was about to be (coughs) taken out of this world, as Paul was about to be martyred for the cause of Christ, he wanted Timothy to know some things and he charged Timothy. And if you'll stand with me as we read in 2 Timothy chapter number four, we're going to begin reading in verse number one. He gives Timothy some words here and I think it was not just for Timothy but I think this charge and these words were for Anchor of Hope Baptist Church and I know and I think that it is time for a Christian generation to hear these words as well chapter number 4 verse number 1 I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom Timothy Anchor of Hope insert your name there Bryce, Brother Don, Brother Mike, Brother Mike, Brother Alex, Miss Sherry. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned 
unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. This is goodbye for Paul. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Look, let your eyes fall back in verse number three and read these words just silently to yourself and ponder on them. For the time will come. This was Paul telling Timothy, for the time will come. Timothy, you should know. And you should make sure everyone you teach after you knows. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Tonight I want to preach on this thought. I know it's Bible study night, but y'all buckle up and stay with me. The time has come. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you still speak to young men like Timothy. You still speak to young men like me. You still speak to young men and young ladies all over this world, young vessels that you want to use for your kingdom and your glory and your gospel. God, I pray tonight that as we gather to your place, to your house, to your sanctuary, where you said to where two or more are gathered, there will I be in the midst of them. God, I pray that you join us tonight, that your Holy Spirit move amongst your people, charge each and every one to do that which you've called them to do. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Paul doesn't waste any time giving Timothy the answer to probably all the questions Timothy was asking. And again, I always like to put myself in the text shoes and put myself in Timothy's shoes and do the same. You're a young preacher. You haven't been saved that long. You see, Timotheus had joined as we're going through Acts as well. You can kind of see where he picked up and he walked and, and saw the missionary journeys of Paul and Saul and maybe watched from uh, afar some of the messages Paul preached. He was there when he preached that uh, scathing message on repentance there in Greece. And uh, he was there when Paul, when <coughs> he was persecuted, when he was beaten. Timothy was there and he saw some things and he got to go through the university of hard knocks. He got to go through the school of hard knocks. He got to learn and grow under the ministry of a man that was called by God, that was used by God, that was uh, and did amazing things to, with God and for God, but now it would be his turn. And as Paul was leaving this earth, as Paul was in prison writing this letter to Timothy, no doubt as Timothy's re reading these words, he's got hundreds and hundreds of questions, you know, uh, what, what do I do? How, how do I lead these people? These people are looking to me now. You've told them that I'm going to be their pastor and I'm going to be their leader and I'm going to, what, what is it? Paul doesn't waste any time giving him the answer. He does not waste any time. He says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So notice the sincerity and the severity of the charge he's about to give. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the commission. Look at the mission Paul's giving Timothy. And God made sure that this scripture was stayed in our Bibles and he kept it and he preserved it for you and for me. And he didn't waste time giving Timothy the answer to what he was going to be facing. Preach. 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 Preaching has always been the answer. When Jesus came, he began to 
preach, when he began to walk and people began to see the person he was and the ministry he was living, he never took the time to sit down and give them 12 steps to financial success. He never took the time and sat down to let them know about a program or a a policy or he didn't try to sell them anything. He didn't try to get political and talk about Rome and talk about this and talk about that. He preached. He preached against sin. He preached his righteousness. He talked about the forgiveness and the grace of God. Preaching has always been and will always be the answer. And Paul knew that and he said, Timothy, preach. If you're going to look at this world and all these people that are looking to you and desiring of you to lead them and they're wondering, what are you going to do when things get hard? What are you going to do when things get under pressure as this world begins to press on you and Paul's not around anymore. Paul's not around anymore to rear back and let her rip tater chip. It's going to fall on you, Timothy. Here's what I want you to do. Preach. And many of us have got that preach word very, very twisted because we have our own opinions of what preaching is, of what preaching we like. And I have an opinion of the type of preaching I like to hear. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You have an opinion of the type of preaching you like to hear. And here at Anchor of Hope, we're in this unique situation where we're looking for a pastor. We're looking for a preacher. And in the days ahead, we're going to have to ask the question, well, what kind of preacher do we... Well, we know we want somebody who preaches. We know we want somebody to take the Word of God and to preach it. But what does that actually mean? Does that, does that preach what? Well, Paul didn't say. He didn't leave any room for debate. What did he? He said, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Preach what? The Word. Preach what? The Word. He did not call men to get up and preach about philosophy. He did not call men to get up and preach about astrology. He did not call men to get up and preach about policy or politics. He did not get, call men to get up and preach about worldliness or preach about fame and fortune or famine and pestilence. He got a hold of men, dived into their hearts, gave them a call, set their hearts on fire, commissioned them to go out into the world to preach the Word. That's the Gospel. The Word. In the beginning, the Word was with God. In the beginning, the Word was God. It's Jesus. If a preacher gets up and the, and the message is not simply Christ and Him crucified, the message of the Gospel that Christ was buried, died, and rose again, that preacher is not preaching the Word. Preach the Word, Timothy. You want to know the answer? You want to know what you need to do? Preach the Word. But Paul, they're, they're saying they need to know about this and they want to know about it and they have all these questions. Preach the Word, Timothy. When Jesus came to the woman at the well, she tempted Him saying, what are you even doing talking to me? She, she got cultural on Him. She said, I'm one of these people and you're one of those people. I'm one of us and you're one of them. What are you doing talking to me? And Jesus said, if you knew who it was that was talking to you, you would ask me to give you water. He kept the subject on what? Jesus. He kept the subject on the water. He kept the subject on the well, even though she, like we do, we try to change the subject. We try to get political. We try to get into policy. We try to get into people. We try to get into things. He kept the subject where it ought to be. He kept the subject and he kept the message and he kept the sermon on the word. Preach, Timothy. Preach. So that leaves the question. Okay, well, there's many ways to preach the word. There's many ways to, there's, well, there's a loud way to preach the Word, and there's a, a little less loud way to preach the Word. There's, like Brother Bryce gets up there, and he preaches, and he, you can't hardly understand what he's saying, because he gets to talking so fast, and then there's that other guy that gets up there, or those other guys, and they preach so slowly, you fall asleep in between each sentence, and you got to get up and ask your neighbor what in the world he said in between, because they're preaching so slow. So, he, uh, preach the Word, Timothy. Well, what's that look like? What, what, what is the qualifications? Luckily, it's not up to you, and it's not up to me. Luckily, Paul spelled it out for him. 
There are many different men. God uses many different men. God uses quiet men. God uses loud men. God uses tall men. God uses short men. God uses pretty men. God uses ugly men. God uses all sorts of men to preach His Word. God uses all sorts of ladies to be a witness of His Word, to be a light into their communities. And they're all different. And they're all going to have... But they all need to be doing three things. What is it? Preach the Word. Be in season, out of season. Here it is. Reprove. Reprove. To reprimand... Or correct. To reprimand or correct. Jesus was never mean to sinners, but he never sugarcoated sin. He never said sin was okay. He never condoned their behavior. He called their sin. He called their adultery. He called their idolatry. He called their homosexuality. He called what well, you fill in the name of the blank there, you, you addiction or whatever you want to call it. He called sin, sin. Now, he did not belittle that sinner and embarrass that sinner and hate that sinner, but he hated and preached at and pointed the finger at and dug the blade in on their sin. Reproving a preaching a message that we are to be looking for is one that is going to be bold enough, whether he's bold enough and quiet and reverent and he calls sin, sin, or he's loud and he's brash, and he's willing to point the finger and spit all over these boys up here and call sin, sin. Regardless of the, the delivery, regardless of the style, regardless of the man, reproving needs to be taking place. That there's no uh, skipping it. There's no glancing over it. There's no not naming sins of alcoholism. There's no not naming sins of a homosexual because of who we might hurt their feelings, who we might offend. I'd rather offend somebody and have the conversation and tell them about Jesus and tell them that Jesus loves them anyway and that Jesus died for them than to not offend them, them never repent and trust Jesus Christ and them end up in the lake of fire and brimstone forever and ever and ever because there was no reproving. He didn't stop there. Reprove, rebuke. Rebuke. That simply means to, Webster says, to sharply criticize. The Bible says the Word of God is sharp, quick, Sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts. It hurts. It hurts when you hear the truth. We've said it before. The truth hurts when presented with it, when it's put in your face. When you say, and when the preacher gets up and he says, the Word of God says this about the way you are living. The Word of God says this about the thoughts you are having. The Word of God says this about you saying you're a Christian on Sunday and what you're doing on Monday. When you hear that truth, it's going to cut. It's going to be that cut that... That little one you don't really realize you have because it's going to let it fly and you're going to, ooh, yeah, that may have been me. But on Monday, you're going to slip up and you're going to do that thing and that lemon juice is going to get in that cut. And you're going to go, ooh, that's what that preacher was talking about. And then you're going to go, oh, all right, no more lemon in my sweet tea. That word cut me on Sunday, but I'm not going to fall for that lemon again. And then it's 2020 and there's a pandemic going around. You got to hand sanitize everywhere you go and you go, that's that cut. The Word of God will cut you on Sunday. And if you leave without getting it right before God, it'll stay with you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, until you get it right. That's the rebuking. That's the cutting. But here's the thing, people. Here's what Paul was telling Timothy. He said, reprove, rebuke, and then thirdly, exhort. Because any old preacher... 
Any old man, any young man, any preacher that's green as grass or old and gray can get up here and rip people's heads off, can reprove, can rebuke. The Word of God makes it easy. It's black and white. There's no gray area. Anyone can get up here and point their finger and tear people apart and make people feel terrible and make people feel guilty and make people feel sinful and which they should. All of us are sinners, but there is none righteous. No, not one. Our greatest righteousness is as filthy rags. There's not one of us that should feel comfortable in our skin, that should feel comfortable in our flesh. But at the same time, it takes a preacher, it takes the Holy Spirit of God to take those things that are taken apart and exhort them and build them and fill in the gospel and fill in the love and put them back together. Any old preacher can get up here and tear people to pieces. It's the ones that are filled with the Holy Spirit of God that can put you back together using the Word of God. That's a surgeon. You know what they call people that are really good at taking people apart? Serial killers. It's true. Chew on that for a minute. Not literally. You might be one of them. But they call people that are good at putting people back together doctors. One will send you to jail for the rest of your life and many lifetimes after that. One of them will make you so rich you don't even have to be on time anywhere you go. Preachers, reprove, rebuke. But you don't leave them like that. You take the Word of God in cords of love. What, what, how, did, how did he word it? How did he word it? Exhort with all long-suffering. That's patience with people. Patience with people. Patience with people. The independent fundamental Baptist is dying because we're trying to cookie-cut people into a mold before they're even saved. Because we're trying to make them act a certain way, talk a certain way, dress a certain way before they've even met the Savior. With all long-suffering and doctrine. Exhort that individual. When you're preaching, when you're out in that workplace and you're telling somebody about Jesus, yeah, reprove it. Yeah, rebuke it. Yeah, let her rip, tater, chip. Stand on what's right. Tell them what's wrong. But never forget the good news. Never forget the, the long-suffering of Christ. And how as he hung on that cross, he knew what each and every one of us are on the inside. And he died anyway. And he's still standing there extending those arms. He's still standing there extending those arms. So that's what he told him to do. He gave him that charge. And then verse 3 happens. And then, ver he, okay, so Timothy's probably about like you are right now. But let's get him. All right. I got it, Paul. Got it. All right. And then Paul gets to verse number three. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Preach sound doctrine, Timothy. Oh, wait. There's coming a time where they're not going to listen to it. Wow. You ever feel that way? That you know the truth? That you know what people need? But we live in a generation where they don't even care to look for it? They don't even care to hear it? That's not new. That was here written thousands of years before you and I were born. Guess what, Timothy? It's not going to be a very liked message. Guess what, Timothy? It's not going to be a very popular message. I never put a limit on what God can do. I've seen God do amazing and huge and, and bold and amazing that I know God did those things. But you want to see somewhere I get cautious is when thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are going into a place and they're coming out the exact same way and they say God's in there. I, I show caution. 
Because if you go in a place and God's in there, you ain't going to come out the same. Because God's in there. And that's what Paul's getting at to hear. He said, Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall, look at that word, heap to themselves. These aren't small groups of people. These are masses of thousands of people. Heap to themselves teachers. What do you tell Timothy to do in verse 1? Preach. What does he call these people? Teachers. Hmm. Okay. Let you chew on that one on your own. We ain't got time to spend too much time there. Having itching ears. Verse number four. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall have their ears turned to fables, which is stories, which is motivational speaking, which is 12 steps to make every day Friday, which is this, that, and the other. Anything other than the truth is just a story. Anything other than Scripture is just a man's wisdom. Anything other than the Bible is just man's philosophy. It is faulted. It is failing. It is not going anywhere. But Paul's sitting here telling Timothy, Timothy, this is what's going to happen. There's going to come a time where they don't want to hear the truth anymore. They don't want to know what you're saying anymore, Timothy. They're not going to be looking for it. They're not going to be wanting it. They're not going to be desiring it. So here's what they're going to do, Timothy. They're going to get them some pretty teachers. They're going to get them some guys that want to come up and just want to please everybody. And that ain't going to say nothing true and it ain't going to say nothing just, ain't going to talk about hell, ain't going to talk about sin, and they're going to get up and they're going to tell everybody about how Jesus loves them, but they're going to forget what He loves them in spite of and that who they are and what they've done, and they're going to get up and they're going to falsify. They're going to call by the masses people that want to hear that they're okay. People that want to hear that they ain't got to do nothing. People that want to hear what they want to hear. Did you know you look for things that you want to hear? Do you ever turn on a radio station and listen to it for about 30 minutes and after 30 minutes go, man, I can't stand this music? No. If a song comes on you don't like, you turn the channel, don't you? You don't listen to what you don't want to hear. You don't sit there and go, wow, this is terrible, but I'll listen to it for about another hour. No. That's not how we work. That's not how, that, that's not real. That's not real life. All right? People in their sin nature, in their flesh, flock towards, lean to what they want to hear. And when we begin looking for dirt on somebody, we're going to go to the sources that are going to tell us what we want to know. When we're looking to get dirt or to get uh, <coughs> uh, gratification or proof that we're right or proof that they're wrong, we're going to dive into the sources that we already know before we even click on them, before we type them in the search bar, before we pick up and call. They're going to tell us what we want to hear. We're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. We know that there's that person that we don't call because they'll tell us what we don't want to hear. Don't we? I got a grandma like that. If I know I, I want to hear the truth, I call her. But if I know I don't want to hear the truth, I don't call her. But many times the Lord will put it on her heart and she'll call me. And I'll be like, Arr! I'll see that name pop up on the caller ID and I'm, <sighs> hey grandma, you just been on my heart this morning. Yeah. And there's people that God uses that way. But we avoid them, don't we? We avoid them. And I say we, Christians. So how much the more will the lost go find the people that will tell them what they want to hear? If Christians do it, we just admitted it, don't back up on me. If Christians do it, how much the more will somebody who's living in open sin in their lifestyle. 
go find somebody that will tell them that that's okay. How much the more will somebody that is caught up in all these addictions and this lifestyle of partying and carrying on, how much the more will they go for looking for somebody that will tell them that they don't have to repent of anything? And they'll pay through the nose to support them. And they'll defend them. And they'll die on those hills defending that person because they're the only voice telling them that the way they're living is okay. So what do we do? So imagine the wind that is taken out of Timothy's sails there. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and sound doctrine. But they're not going to listen to you after a while. What's he telling? Where does it pick up at? Praise God. There's always another verse. Amen. Amen. Verse five. What does he say? Number one, what do we do? What do we do when the time has come? Number one, watch. But watch in all things. But Timothy, watch in all things. Endure afflictions. Watch in all things. Endure afflictions. This is so simple. I don't, I just, I'm just going to say it. I don't want to mess it up. God gave you two ears, two eyes, one mouth. Those two ears and those two eyes, that's the ingoing. And the mouth, that's the outgoing. By my simple Lakeview High School calculations, two ears, two eyes, that's four gates inside going inwards and one gate going outwards. You should be watching, listening, receiving, thinking four times as much as you speak. Let that sink in for a minute. But watch thou in all things. Before Timothy, this is Paul saying this. This is Mr. I'm going to open my mouth and say something. Paul saying, Timothy, when this time comes, watch. Use those little Baptist eyeballs. Use those little Baptist ears and watch. Because many things, Timothy, you won't have to say anything. They will speak for themselves. They will find themselves out. Rest assured, your sin will find you out. That's not just an app, app, the application to the individual. That's going to be in the application of these hordes of people that are heaping to themselves teachers having itching ears. Their sin will find them out. Watch, Timothy. Watch. Endure afflictions. Endure afflictions, Paul? Can you imagine as Timothy's reading this? Endure afflictions. It's going to come. It's going to come, Timothy. Afflictions, opposition, struggles, temptation, storms, 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 and more storms are not a possibility. They are a guarantee. Lost people get divorces. Saved people get divorces. Lost people have problems. Saved people have problems. Lost people have financial burdens. Saved people have financial burdens. Lost people lose loved ones. Saved people lose loved ones. Lost people have sin in their life. Saved people have sin in their life. Lost people have tragedies happen to them. Saved people have tragedies to them. Lost people's kids go out and do rebellious things. Saved people's kids go out and do rebellious things. The cross of Calvary, the blood of Jesus, saves us from our sins, places our soul, places our name in the land. Lamb's book of life, but it does not excuse us from living in a wretched, sin-cursed, lost and dying world. Endure afflictions, Timothy. It's going to get bad. The time's going to come, and I would say now the time has come. Watch. Endure it. How do I endure it? We've talked about it in days past. You got it any worse than Christ did? 
Have you got it any worse than him? And when he comes, looks at you, you hush real quick. You know when God's looking at you. You know it. When, you, when I say you, I mean me just as much as I mean you. When I open my mouth to complain, I see those holes in his hands. My mouth closes real quick, don't I? Then if you've been on the mission field, and you've been in third world countries, and you've seen with your own eyes how every, everyday people, they, they live. And an ambulance here in the United States, one ambulance has more medical technology and equipment than an entire 500-room hospital in a third world country. You, you understand these afflictions we have here in the States. Yeah, we may have to wear a mask. Yeah, we may have to follow some rules that we're not used to. Yeah, we may have to put hand sanitizer on every five seconds. It's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket compared to what our Lord went through. It's a drop in the bucket compared to what some Christians in the Middle East are going through right now. You see, the media is all about what the media is all about now, but they still haven't stopped killing Christians over in the Middle East, have they? They still haven't stopped murdering Jews over in the Middle East. There's still war. There's still people suffering persecution. The very soil Jesus was standing on said in the last days, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. The soil he was standing on when he said that is still being stained with blood on a daily basis over there. It hasn't stopped. Just because all we see is this, that, and that doesn't mean the rest of the world stops and just watches and sees what we do. Endure afflictions, Timothy. Don't be surprised. But in the midst of those afflictions, and don't just endure them, but be an encourager in them. If there's one thing I've, I've learned, is that no matter what they look like, what kind of clothes they have on, what kind of car they drive, how beautiful their wife and children are, amazing life that they look like they have, people are hurting. People are hurting. They may sit in the cubicle next to you. They may have the toolbox in the shop that's always in your way of your toolbox in the shop. They may be the guy or the gal that has the most annoying, the sounds that come out of that human being in the office are just the most annoying, nail-biting sound. They're over there snorting and, and breathing funny. And you're like, what is that? Th- are they human? You know what I'm talking about? But what you don't know is their pain and, and their hurt and what's going on in the background. Paul told Timothy, endure. But in that, you ought to be the one to be the encourager. Because you know, Timothy, you know who's coming back to get you. You know who's in control. You know who's on the throne. You're not going to let your circumstances determine your value. You're going to let Christ determine your value. And you're going to be the one that's going to be able to encourage those ones that everybody else just walks by. I saw this sweet, sweet lady in a drive-thru. She was struggling. She was struggling. She's got her mask. She's got her gloves. You can tell she's the only one working in that little restaurant. And I go through the drive-thru. My wife had called in the order. And she's, you can see it through the mask, through the gloves. She is stressed out. And she comes to that window. Did you have an order? Yes. What's the name? I don't know. It's either under Bryce or Candy. My wife called it in. You don't know the name? It's Bryce or Candy. Okay, young lady, she goes back there and she looks at this bag and she looks at this bag and she looks at this. She doesn't see Bryce or Candy. She comes back. Do you know what you ordered? And I'm that customer. No, my wife called it in. I don't know what I ordered. I'm zero help to this young lady. And she's pouring sweat. 
She's got this mask that, <laughs> I mean, you, you got, you, some of you are sympathizing with me because I will have to wear one where I work and these things stink. It's no fun. And it's sticking to your face and off your face. Sticking, and she's got these gloves and she's pouring sweat and she's just trying to make her little living. And, and, and she's like, okay, hold on. If you'll, if you'll turn around right there, how many you know the backside of Armando's, how big that area is? Now, how many you know how big a truck Gary just sold me? She said, if you'll just turn around right here and get back in the drive-thru, I'll, I'll have it ready by the time you get back around. I'm like, okay, here we go. So I turned this thing around. That thing ought to have a beeper when you put it in verse. It ought to have it when I because that thing is huge. I love it. It's amazing. Okay. Every time I go by a Prius, I just, just to compensate for all the carbon monoxide they're saving. We won't go there. So I pull around. I get back up to the window. She said, I found your order. And I said, I said, you found it? She said, I found it. It's $19.87. And I'm like, okay, what is it? She goes, it's two salads and some chicken fingers. I'm like, that sounds about right. Let's do it. I hand her the card. She swipes it and she drops the card on the floor and she's, oh no, and she takes her gloves off, picks the cards up, swipes it, puts new gloves on. She's, she's following these rules, guys. And she puts the new gloves on and hands me the card back out the window. She's all kinds of, and as she goes to hand me the card out the window, she drops it. She drops the pen, the pad, the card, all on the gravel, okay? And that means she's got to completely desanitize, take her mask off, take her gloves, and go outside, go all around the building, come around. And she's just broken. Just, you can just tell it's just that. That was it. That was the straw. And I said, hey, it's okay. I'll get it. She said, no, 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 I'll get in trouble. I'm, suppo- I'm not supposed to. I said, you look busy. There's a Diet Dr. Pepper fountain right there that's calling my name. You make me a Diet Dr. Pepper, and you just keep it between us now. I'll get the debit card. She stood up. She said, oh, would you really do that? Yeah, okay. So she goes, she makes it, she comes back to the window. And as she gave me the Dr. Pepper, I gave her a tip to the window and I said, thank you, it's going to get better. And you could just see, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Be an encourager. Don't be the one that's those masks. I hate wearing mine too. That would have made her day better. That would have made her day better, wouldn't it? No. No. Be an encourager. Be an encourager. Endure afflictions. That's number one. We ain't going to get through it. That was watch. Number two, work. Look at five again. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Evangelize. The last I check... Romans 1 says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, right? The Bible says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, right? Don't hear me wrong. We've got way too many men standing up and preaching in this day and hour, telling people everything but the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We've got to get back to that. I will be the first to stand and say in any group of people, we've got to quit living on the coattails of yesterday's blessings. 
How I wish I was in the generation that had revival services that went eight weeks long and 10 weeks long. How I wish I could have been exposed to some of the preaching that we've had in days gone by. How I wish I could have been in some of those services. And some of you were in some of those services at the Highland Parks and at the Tennessee Temple. But we got to quit looking backwards and start looking forwards. We got to quit looking at dead men's bones and start looking at the ones that can make the bones rattle. We got to stop looking backwards at the ashes of things that are burnt up and start lighting new fires in our church and in our people and the people of God that we have and the Anchor of Hope Baptist Church that we have on Lakeview Drive and believing God did it then. Yes, that's great and fine and mighty, but God can do it again. Evangelize. Do the work of an evangelist. That is the gospel. Churches just don't have the power they used to. Go back and look. Be a 30-minute rant about politics. A 30-minute rant about this. And then a 10-minute gospel presentation right before the altar call. Let's go to the house. Again, the Baptist Bureau of Investigation agents are going to fast rope down and carry me out the door any minute now. We've got to get it back to the gospel. We've got to get it back to preaching the word. That's where the power of God is. That's where we'll see God move. That's where we'll see people bring people in this church that don't look like us, that don't act like us, that don't do things that like us, but that Jesus loves just as much as us and Jesus wants to save just as much as us and Jesus wants to use just as much as us and Jesus wants to fill just as much as us. We will see the power of God executed through the local New Testament church when we get back to the gospel. Do the work of an evangelist, Timothy. Notice, I love and hate that word. Work. Work. It ain't easy. It ain't easy being the one voice saying, we got to quit talking about politics and get back to talking about who's on the throne. It ain't easy being the one voice that said, we got to quit worrying about November and start worried about eternity. You see, you're going to vote once every four years one day. But in that four years, there's 364 other days God expects you to be a Christian. Do the work of an evangelist. Get back to leading the conversation of, where do you go to church? Do you, do you know if you're going to heaven? I can't wait till my Lord comes back and gets me. There's not a person my little girl asks. She is so fixated and so magnified, and I hope it never goes away. I hope it never dries up. I hope I can be half as infatuated as she is with the idea of going to heaven. She spends time with a complete stranger that she's only known for 30 seconds. And one of the first questions she asks, are you going to be in heaven? I'm going to be there. It's going to be great. We're going to have our own mansions. There's going to be gold everywhere. There's going to be ponies and horses and candy. I may be going to four-year-old line a little bit. But she is thinking heaven is going, and she's right. It's going to be the greatest thing that there ever could be. It's going to be the greatest place there ever could be. Jesus is going to be there. My Jesus is going to be there. The one that loved me when nobody else did. The one that saved me. He's going to be here. And she'll lead into any conversation and say, are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? A four-year-old gets it. But we'll say, did you see what was on Fox News last night? Bless God. Mm -mm. We've got to get the conversation back on what it's supposed to be. We've got to get the conversation back on what it's supposed to be. The four-year-old gets it. That's what we lose. That innocence of a child and that faith of a child. That's what we lose when we get out in this world and we drudge through it. And we do. But I won't make an excuse for just simply giving up on what has got us this far. 
examine, evangelize, examine, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Whether you're in here and you're a preacher, whether you're in here and you've never read the Bible a day in your life, if you are a saved child of the, of the king, if you knelt at an altar and the blood fell and you've been forgiven of your sins, God has given you a ministry. God has given you a ministry. Whether it be to your brother, whether it be to your sister, whether it be to your kids, whether it be to your parents, whether it be to your coworkers, whether it be to a church, whether it be to a bus route, whether it be whatever it is, God has given you a ministry. And he says, Timothy, when the time comes and the time has come, make full proof of your ministry. Make sure you're giving it everything you have. Make sure that at the end of the day, when the dust settles and you're able to say like Paul did, I have run the race, I have finished the course, that you're going to be able to look back and say, I gave it everything. I gave it everything. There's one thing that I've heard from saints' lips as they pass in that I wish I could have done more. I wish I could have done more. And that ought to always be our attitude. But that ought to never be our fear is that we, we can see all the lives we had a chance to be an effect on. All the lives we had a chance to be a blessing on. All the lives we had an opportunity to love on as Christ would have and we just kept on going. We didn't care. We didn't make full proof of our ministry. We didn't take up every ever opportunity. And no one's perfect. No one's going to be this amazing Billy Graham of a Christian, but even Billy Graham was lost once, wasn't he? Even Billy Graham didn't know his Bible once, didn't he? And I guarantee if you stood Billy Graham right here and you asked him, how did all that happen? He'd say, God. It was all God. It was all him. What's your excuse? What's your excuse? Brother Joe Arthur preaches a message. He preaches it quite a lot. He needs to because it's a good message about the donkey that carried Jesus into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And he just simply leaves him with this question. If a donkey can carry Jesus, why can't you? If a donkey can do it, why can't you? And he said, Brother Joe, it's not that simple. It is that simple. It is that simple. Watch, work, but look down in verse number eight. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also, look at these words, that love his appearing. Watch. What do I do when the time comes? Right now. Watch. Work. Worship. Worship. Expecting his return. Do you realize... That the reason we can come together on a Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Yes, it's because he came. Yes, it's because he died. Yes, it's because he rose again. But we really wouldn't have anything to be excited about past that if he wasn't coming back. If he wasn't coming back to take us home. If he didn't go to prepare a place for, for us. If he didn't say, there will I be and there may ye be also. And today thou shalt be with me in paradise, like he said to the thief. If there wasn't a home going, if there wasn't a heavenly city, if there wasn't an opportunity for the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Messiah, to come back and take you by the hand and take me by the hand and lead us through that promised land, there'd be a little less to get excited about. There'd be a little less to get joy about. But what we got to come to grips with is that 
that He's coming back and He's coming back very soon. And if there's one thing that ought to excite us, if there's one thing that ought to keep a smile on our faces, is that when we look to our left and we look to our right, we can say, I'm getting up out of here. He's coming back. He's coming back. And not just expecting it, but right there where you are, escaping the world you're in. Do you realize how little the problems of this world get when you start looking at things from an eternal perspective? When you start weighing this out and you say, well, this matter in eternity, you know how little, little, tiny, finite the problems of this world? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. If you can live like he's coming back, if you can think like you're getting out of here, like this world is not your home, then you have the freedom to watch and to work and to worship. When you can, like Paul told Timothy, you know that judgment day is coming. You know there's a day where God's going to reward you for your efforts. You know there's a day where he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. If you can live like that and think that way, like Paul was asking Timothy to do, you'll have true worship. You'll have true worship because you'll begin to realize those bills down here, while they may seem troublesome, they may seem hard, they may seem to have your number, they may seem to drain your bank account every time you start getting ahead. But when you start thinking about what those bills are going to mean in the eons of eternity and the millions and millions of years and 10,000 upon 10,000 years when we're still singing Amazing Grace, do you think you're going to be worried about what your light bill was back here on earth? Do you think you're going to be worried about putting gas in your car? Do you think you're going to be worried about where your next job is going to be? Do you think you're going to worry about where you're going to park the camper, Miss BJ? Do you think you're going to worry about all these things that are coming to pass? Do you think you're going to worry about where this next job? If you get an eternal, eternal perspective, you will worship with an eternal perspective. You will walk with an eternal perspective and you will witness with an eternal perspective. And you will begin to see people as eternal souls that will spend eternity in heaven or hell. If you're not convinced yet, I want you to chew on this as you go home. I heard C.T. Townsend say it today like this. Because there's a lot of preachers out there that look out at the world and they say, yeah, the time has come. They don't want to listen. They don't want to hear. So what's the point? Let's just go, go to church, sing the songs, check the box, do our own thing. What's the point? If that's the case, I want you to think about this. How many... Don't raise your hand. But you know a preacher that's saying something like that. You've heard a Christian that's saying something like that. What's the point? The world's... No, nobody believes. I, I don't see... We don't deserve another great awakening. As many babies as we have aborted, as many sins as our nation committed. We don't deserve it. You're right, we don't. But I want you to chew on this. A preacher I greatly admire in C.T. Townsend said this. If the God of this universe was done with his church, the church wouldn't be here. Think about that. If there wasn't a job for us to do tomorrow, we won't be here tomorrow. If there wasn't a job for us to do in two years, we won't be here in two years. 
So what we got to wake up and realize is we're still here. We're still in 2613 Lakeview Drive. We're still in Rossville, Georgia. We've still got kids in trailer parks and apartments and things that need us. We've still got ladies in the nursing home and men in the nursing home. We've still got the homeless at the rescue mission. We've still got those that we co-labor with and work with. We cannot sit down. We cannot back up. we got to find us somebody, someone in the days ahead as a pastor, as a man of God who will preach, be instant in season, reprove, rebuke and, uh, and exhort, but also be willing to be the Christians that will watch and that will work and that will worship with an internal perspective. Because God is not done with us. God is not done with Anchor of Hope. And the next time Satan tries to get in your head and show you how terrible the world is and show you how dark everything's getting outside, remember that if God was done with the church, we'd be gone. If God was done with the church, he would come back and get us. Because the work would be done. The only reason we are here is to get the gospel out. He's not done with us, Anchor Hope. He's not done with you. And he's not done with me. So as Timothy read that letter, go back to his shoes. You just read the letter Timothy read. You just read it. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we don't have to add anything to it or take anything away from it. God, I pray that you use people in this room like you use Paul and you use Timothy. God, I pray that we get our focus and we get our eyes looking forwards. And whatever the new normal is going to be, God, I pray that you help the Christians to never achieve normal, that never want normal, that never want to be normal, but they want to be Christians. They want to be able to go forward and they want to be above reproach. They want to be separate from the world. They want to be holy. They want to walk in the light and, the, uh, and be the salt and the light into the world that they're in. God, I pray that you help us to never want normal, that you help us to never want the status quo, that we don't want to go back to the way things were. We want to go back to the way, the way you have it envisioned for our country, the way you have it envisioned for our churches, the way you have it envisioned for our our Christians. God, I pray that we realize that the church is not done and you are not done with your church. God, I pray that you use each and every person in this room. Bless the families represented here. Bless their households. Bless their families. God, I pray if they've got their burdens that they've brought here tonight. God, I pray that you grant according to your will what those prayer requests may be. God, I know you know each and every one of them. I know you know each and every cell and each and every body that's going through the afflictions of health crisis. Father, I know that you know each and every cent and dollar in each and every bank account of those that are going through financial struggle, God. I know that you know each and every heartache and each and every pain of all those that are going through depression and dark times right now, God. I pray that you shine your light of your Son back into their lives and you remind them that you are in control, that you are on the throne, and that everything is going to be done according to your will and that we win and that you're coming back to get us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.